0: but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. Amen. Come on back in folks, if you'd like to grab a Bible, um, that would be great, or you can open up in your device. We're going to be in Nehemiah 6, and uh, here's all the page numbers. Uh, The red Bible, uh, which there should be some in the uh, seat in front of you uh, or near you, is on page 401. Uh, Large print blue Bible, page 472, and those are in the back by the offering baskets. Uh, And then children's Bible, if you've got one of those kiddos, it's on page 516, uh, if you have it in your device, well, good luck finding it there. I can't help you. Um, come on in, folks. Uh, so just to kind of give you a little background uh, into where we're, we're going to be this morning, uh, we're going to be in Nehemiah 6. What's happened so far is that they've begun working on the wall. And I'll just leave it there. A lot of other stuff has gone on. We're in this section of Nehemiah uh, where in chapters 4, 5, and 6, there's a lot of opposition to the work. Uh, Chapter 4, there's some external opposition. Chapter 5, they have to deal with some internal problems with oppression and injustice of their own people. Uh, And then now we're in 6, which is going to be this final attempt, you might say, to stop the work of building the wall. It's the summer of 445 BC, and there's a few things, uh, a few points that I want us to remember as we enter into uh, the passage today. The first one is this. For the Christian, this world is not our home. Biblically speaking, Christians uh, are sojourners, are exiles called to live at all times with the eternity of God's kingdom in view. So that's the first thing. The second thing is the reason why Nehemiah and the people are rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem is to extend the glory and enjoyment of God. That's why they're doing it. It's for God's glory and for the world to be able to enjoy God. In the same way, we're called to do the work of God using our gifts for the good of the world and for the glory of God. And so we each are called, as Pastor Dan has been sharing, uh, how can we find a corner where God has called us to bring the restorative power of the gospel? What is God calling us to in our kingdom work? Whatever that might be and wherever that might be, uh, even if it's uh, something that might seem ordinary. The third thing that I want to say as we come to our text is this. Whenever we face opposition to our kingdom work, our true enemy is always Satan. He is our ancient foe, as as the hymn says. Okay, with this in mind, let's turn to God's word. And we're going to be in Nehemiah 6, and I'm going to read the whole chapter. This is God's word. Now, When Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall, and there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come, and let us meet together at Hakafirim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work. I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? Verse 4. And they sent to me four times in this way. And I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Sanballat, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. In it was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. Then I, that's Nehemiah, sent to him, saying, No such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work, and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. Verse 10. Now when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home, he said... Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, such a man as I run away, and what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him. But he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin. And so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, oh my God, according to these things that they did. And also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets, Who wanted to make me afraid? Verse 15. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Ere, and his son Jehohanan had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Barakiah, as his wife. Whew! Also, they spoke of his good deeds, that is Tobias, in my presence and reported my words to him, and Tobias sent letters to make me afraid. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Lord, I, I go weak and needy to the task of preaching your word this morning, and I'm thankful As a friend reminded me yesterday that it's all about your spirit. It's about your spirit, Lord, making this word uh, real to us, uh, making this word, your word, convict us and comfort us. And so we're asking, Spirit of God, for you to do just that today. uh, For our good and for the glory of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you look in your bulletin, you'll find I've, I've got some uh, spots where you can follow along and fill in the blank. Uh, the roadmap today is simple, and it's without alliteration. I don't know if you've noticed, but we've had a lot of alliteration so far in Nehemiah. Uh, today, without it, and here it is, the simple roadmap. There's three stooges. Yes, three stooges of Satan, you might put in parentheses. Three stooges, two options, and one hope. 321. Three stooges, two options, one hope. Let's start with three stooges. So uh, you might say the three stooges of Satan. I am convinced that there is nothing in this world that will bring more temporary trouble and hatred upon oneself than when you live for the good of others and for the glory of God. Amen. Let me say that one more time. I'm convinced that there is nothing in this world that will bring more temporary trouble. Keep note, temporary, and hatred upon oneself than when you live for the good of others and for the glory of God. Why do I say this? Well, let me share a recent uh, personal small example with you. After lots of prayer and lots of discussions and thinking through priorities, big picture priorities, my wife and I have decided to sell our home uh, and buy a different one. Don't worry, we're still in Green Bay. We're just moving two miles away from our current home. Our decision is going to mean some sacrifices. Uh, We're going to be going from a a bigger house to a smaller house. But we are confident that this decision is for the good of our family and for the glory of God. In the weeks leading up to listing our home, uh, we did lots of things to our house. We touched up the paint. We had the carpets cleaned with professionals. We spruced up the landscaping. uh, We changed out some light fixtures and did lots and lots and lots of cleaning. Interestingly and not so coincidentally the week before we were set to list our home a few unexpected uh, unexpected to us things happened here's the list you ready one of our toilets stopped working just started flowing everywhere part of our fence fell apart Uh, The day the photographer was at our house, the city of Green Bay decided that was the day they wanted to grind out the stump in our front yard that they left when they cut down a tree last fall uh, in my yard. And I watched the photographer race outside barefoot to stop them from grinding it so he could take a picture of the front of the house. Uh, Three days before we listed our house, our kids decided that of all times, why not play with a watermelon in the room of the carpets we just had cleaned. In an attempt to keep our one-year-old daughter from jumping and riding the watermelon like a horse, my eight-year-old son puts the watermelon up on a shelf that's only about this wide, and it was only a matter of time, I think three seconds before, the watermelon made the three-foot or four-foot plunge to the floor and smashed into pieces. Yeah, there was, yeah, it was exciting. So we called the carpet cleaner back. Uh, was God testing us testing the holes in my holiness absolutely and let me tell you I have many holes in my holiness there's also something else going on it's something that goes like this and pastor Dan said it well a couple weeks ago he said whenever we set out to do the work of God Satan goes to war Friends, the truth is, Satan hates it when we seek to honor and glorify God with our lives. He hates it when we live for the good of others and for the glory of God. In the New Testament, the apostle Peter explains it like this. He says in 1 Peter 5, 8, Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Friends, the reality is, for the Christian, as Jesus says in John 16, in this world, you will have tribulation. In this world, you will have tribulation. He didn't say you might. He didn't say this, you know, could happen. He says you will have tribulation. This word tribulation literally means uh, putting pressure or pressing something together. It's the sense that, uh, of distress That's a result of circumstances, sometimes outward, sometimes inward. In fact, in this same area, uh, John chapter 16, just before this, Jesus says that Christians are actually going to be even hated in the world. He said in John 15, 19, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Friends, the prince of this world is Satan, and he is hard at work waging war against God's people. He's been doing it since the beginning of time. Go back to the Garden of Eden. And this was Nehemiah's experience as well. We've already seen some of the schemes of Satan. Pastor Dan talked about this in chapter 4, and here again we find him at work. In our passage this morning, Satan employs, uh, who I'm, not so affectionately calling the three stooges of Satan, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. And these three guys are doing the bidding of Satan against Nehemiah in the form of three assaults. So we come to our text. We learn that the foundations of the wall were complete. Uh, He says, Nehemiah says, there was no breach left in it. It doesn't mean that the wall was built to its full height. But what it means is there was no break all the way around the city of Jerusalem in the wall. And it was built maybe to a certain level. Uh, We're unsure of how high. But it was complete in that sense. And the gates were set uh, and ready for the doors to be put in. Okay? In a last-ditch attempt to stop the work, Sanballat and Geshem, in verse 2, ask Nehemiah to meet them at... uh, Hakaphirim in the plain of Ono. Here's a map where uh, we think that the plain of Ono is about 37 miles northwest of Jerusalem. Not very close. Not very close. In fact, it was just this kind of desert like plain that was not friendly to uh, the Jews. This was not a, a nice place to go for the Jews, it was dangerous. This city, Hecaphirim, is an unknown place. The the name of the city actually means lions. I don't know if that's supposed to tip us off to anything. Nehemiah sees through this request. And he wisely discerns that they are going to do him harm. Probably kill him when he gets out there. I mean, far away, he's not close to the city. This is going to take a few days to get there. So he sends messengers back, verse 3, and he says, I'm doing a great work. I can't come down to you. Why should the work stop while I leave and come down to you? Four more times, or I guess total four times. It says in verse 4, they tried this four times. And Nehemiah responds in the same way each time. I can't come, guys. I'm not going to come. And they keep asking, I'm not going to come. What's going on here? What's, what's happening here? A few years ago, uh, my family and I uh, went down to the Smoky Mountain National Park. Anyone ever been down to the Great Smokies? Yeah, some, some people. Have. Now, we, the way we came, we came kind of from the west. We went through um, Knoxville and then down, and we went through Gatlinburg. Now, anyone been to Gatlinburg? So you're on this road... And you've got the beauty of the great smoky national forest, the Appalachian Mountains, Appalachian, I guess, maybe that's how we, down there they say Appalachian. Anyway, right in the distance, but you gotta go through Gatlinburg. Now Gatlinburg, I'm sure at one time was a nice, cute, quaint little town. Now Gatlinburg is is like a carnival uh, of of, of sorts. There are all kinds of attractions, uh, things on the sides of the road that if you weren't paying attention to the mountains, you would never get there. There's an upside-down building over here. There's a go-kart track over here. I remember going with my kids, and of course, you know, my wife and I, I can't wait to get to the mountains over there, and my kids are like, ooh, are we going to go to the go-kart range? Can we go over here? I want to go to that restaurant that's upside-down. Ooh, look, there's a guy driving a, a truck, and he's sitting on top of it, and they're playing a banjo. Let's follow that guy. This, in part, I think, is kind of like life. Driving through Gatlinburg, trying to head to the Great Smoky National forest is kind of like our life in miniature. Distractions all around. Distractions keeping us from the goal. The mountains. You see, friends, in this world, Christ's followers will face distraction from kingdom work. This is one of Satan's main assaults. This morning, I want you to ask yourself, what's distracting me from... My kingdom work what's distracting me from living for the good of others and for the glory of God what am I allowing to distract me from pursuing what God has called me to maybe something small maybe something large don't go this pursuit of answering these questions alone you need people around you godly people around you your your family uh, uh your church helping you answer this question We see what Nehemiah does. He would not be distracted from the work God had called him to, and he says, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to come down and take the time to do this. I'm doing a great work. The assaults don't stop here. They keep coming. In the next part here, verses 5 to 9, we see another attempt to stop Nehemiah, this time in the form of conspiracy, in the form of lies, in the form of threat. So see, after ballot, unsuccessfully four times, doing the same thing, four times. I think that's the definition of insanity, but anyway, he tries something different on the fifth attempt. Maybe he's a slow learner, I don't know. And he sends what's called an open letter to Nehemiah. Now the open letter uh, means that the message wasn't sealed, that it was open to anyone to read it. In fact, uh, some scholars even say that the contents of the letter would become public property. It would go in like the records as 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 a uh, correspondence between dignitaries, uh, you might say. And here's what the letter contained: serious accusations. In verse six, you're planning to start a rebellion, Nehemiah. You're wanting to be king. You're using propaganda. You've hired prophets to go out and tell people, hey, there's a king coming in Judah. Think about this, folks, for a second. What are the Israelites waiting for? They're waiting for the promised Messiah who would come to Jerusalem and be king. And now, Sanballat is using their own prophecy, real prophecy against them to turn them on each other. Think about it for a minute. The weight of these accusations. First of all, if these statements were, or believed to be true, King Artaxerxes in the Persian kingdom would see this as high treason. Nehemiah would be executed. If the Persian authorities caught wind of these rumors, whether or not they're true or not, Nehemiah would then have to defend himself. The work of the wall would not go on. He'd probably have to travel back uh, and, and, and go talk in Babylon to the king and probably, who knows, maybe be killed instantly. We're not sure. Suffice to say that if these rumors got out, it would slow down the work at best, possibly ending Nehemiah's life. Now, interestingly, what gives Sanballat away is the last part of the letter. What helps us to see that, that he's just blowing smoke and these are just a bunch of lies is this. He says, so come on, let's, let's counsel together. Let's talk about this together. Now, why in the world would a guy who is accusing Nehemiah of high treason to the king want to collude with this guy? There's no way he would do that if it was true. There's no way. He would be running far. He'd be going to, to, to King Artaxerxes and telling on the guy, but that's not what he's doing. And What does Nehemiah say in response? No such things as you say have been done. You are inventing them or literally fabricating them out of your own mind. Yeah, fake news, there we go, fake news. This accusation is a figment of your own imagination. This is the second assault of Satan that we find in our text this morning, and it's this, false accusation. It's false accusation. Not only do we face distraction, we also face false accusation in our kingdom work. Sometimes these accusations are external, like in Nehemiah's case, More often than not, though, friends, they are internal. They are internal accusations that Christians deal with that strike at the core of our identity. The kind of accusations that cause us to question ourselves, to question those around us, and to question God. I remember once uh, dealing with with these kinds of false accusations, both internally and externally, in the months that followed uh, a previous pastorate. Uh, after I had resigned uh, from a previous pastorate. It was a difficult pastorate uh, for myself and my family, and I remember internally wrestling with doubts about my calling, uh, wondering things like, am I capable to do such a work? I remember struggling to believe that I could ever be a pastor again, thinking maybe I should should just get another job and, and go serve a church as a layman. I even began to doubt my family and my wife and her support, thinking maybe my wife doesn't want me to be a pastor. Externally, I had some accusations. I remember in one very dramatic moment, a church member tell me to my face that the church was falling apart and it was all my fault, that I had ripped the heart out of the church. I didn't know I was that strong. One day, I even received an anonymous letter from a church member accusing me of using the church for my own gain, that I wasn't fit, and so forth and so on. You see, friends, these these are the kinds of accusations Satan makes against those who are following Christ, against those who are living for the good of others and for the glory of God. And as Nehemiah points out in verse 9, they are meant to frighten us, to stop us in our tracks. Friends, what are the false accusations that you're dealing with today? What are the internal questions that you're wrestling with? The questions about your identity, who you are, what Jesus has done for you, for your your purpose for living. Notice how Nehemiah responds. He cries out to God for help. But now, strengthen my hands, he says to God. He undergoes a third assault. Uh, we see it in verses 10 to 13. This is this guy, I mean, he's, you know, he just keeps getting hit. So apparently he's invited to the house of, of a prophet. I'm going to put this prophet in quotes. Uh, his name is Shemaiah. We don't have any information about this prophet other than this place right here. According to verse 10, this guy was confined to his home probably due to some sort of either a disability or perhaps uh, some sort of defilement that meant he couldn't leave his house. He was unclean or seen as unclean ritually. Whatever it was, however, it wasn't that bad because he said, hey, let's go to the temple. So there's a little bit of, you know, faking here. Clearly in a ploy to incite fear and despair in Nehemiah, Shemaiah says this, let's meet together in the house of God. Within the temple. So not in the outer courts. Let's go in to the temple. Let's close the doors of the temple. For they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. Even in the original, uh, it's this was in a, a poetic form to sort of strengthen the emphasis here. They're coming to kill you. They're coming to kill you by night. Kind of like a song. Now there's quite a few problems with Shemaiah's approach. First, They overlooked Nehemiah's character. Nehemiah was not a guy easily frightened. He was not a guy to run away from trouble. They overlooked Nehemiah's commitment to God. Nehemiah was not a priest. It was strictly forbidden for anyone other than a priest to enter the temple. In fact, according to ceremonial law, to go there was not only sinful, it would most likely be met with some form of immediate judgment. You can think of King Uzziah in 2 Chronicles 26 who went in and made sacrifices in the temple and he was struck with leprosy. Shemaiah overlooked Nehemiah's character, his commitment to God, and he overlooked Nehemiah's commitment to his people. See, had he done this, this running away and going into the temple, closing the doors, holding himself up in there, He would have been despised by his own people, not only as a coward, but as a transgressor of the ceremonial law. You can't go in there, Nehemiah. You are not a priest. So in verse 11, Nehemiah responds, should such a man as I run away, meaning I've been called to a great work. I can't can't just run away. And he goes on, what man such as I could go into the temple and live? Meaning, I'm not even a priest. I can't go in there. And he says, I will not go in. What's going on here, friends? It's this third assault, and it's the idea of temptation to despair. Nehemiah is being tempted to despair. See, there was some truth that was mixed into this scenario. The truth was Nehemiah was in danger. Obviously, he was in danger. And in this truth, it's mixed in with temptation to sin as a respond to this truth, to run away, to forsake your own people, to forsake God and his word. Let me pause here for a moment and ask you, friends, in what ways are you being tempted to despair? What truths of God are you being tempted to forget or overlook Are you anxious? Have you forgotten that God is good and he's good to you? Does it feel like life is out of control and and too much to handle? Have you forgotten that God is in control and doesn't give us more than we can handle? Are you overwhelmed by guilt and by shame and by poor choices? Have you forgotten that there is no condemnation for those who trust in Jesus Christ. Notice how Nehemiah battles this assault. First, he identifies it for what it is. Probably he had informants. He probably had people that were spying. That's what the commentators say because he he comments. He said, you know, I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat hired the guy. For this purpose he was hired, verse 13, that I should be afraid and act in this way in sin so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. You see what else he does in in his uh, response. He turns to God and he offers this prayer of judgment. It's called precatory prayer. uh, Similar to what he prayed in chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. And he prays to God, asking God to be judge. Asking God to have vengeance in his way over the enemy. As a, a brief side note, I want to point out something here. Notice the way in which Satan carries out this third assault. He does it in the form of prophecy, in the form of false teaching. Uh, this so-called prophet was hired to use his official platform as a uh, his official position as a platform to speak for God. I'm going to put that in quotes in order to tempt Nehemiah uh, to despair and to tempt him to sin against God. Friends. I must warn you to to beware of false teachers. I must warn you that there are men and women in our world today who call themselves Christians even, even evangelical Christians who are preaching a different gospel than that of Jesus Christ. Test everything to Scripture. Test everything to Scripture. Test what I'm saying to Scripture. Test whatever you hear to Scripture, friends. Okay, that's my side note. I'm done with that. You're welcome. How did Nehemiah face these assaults, these tribulations? How did he do it with with boldness and and strength and fortitude? Was he some sort of super Christian? You know, not really. The answer has to do with something much more fundamental and, and much larger than that, much broader. It's this idea of ultimate authority. And this is where I come into the next part here, two options. And it's really the two options principle. In the face of opposition, you have two options. In fact, in all of life, you really have two options. You can either choose between this or this. And here's the principle, and then I'll tell you what the this and this is. The principle is this. Jesus highlights it in Matthew 6. No one can serve two masters. You can't go left and go right at the same time, right? You can't play for two opposing teams at the same time. It's not possible. In the same way, you can't have two ultimates or two ultimate authorities at the same time. There's only room for one ultimate thing in your life. When we face opposition, when we face trials and struggles, where our true allegiance lies comes to light. You see, there's only two options, friends, only two masters. You can either choose to serve the world or you can choose to serve God. You can either choose to walk the path of the world or you can choose to walk the path of God. That's it. That, that in all of life, those are your two options. That's it. Now, I should let you know as a friend and, and as a pastor and a, and, and a preacher of God's word where these paths lead. The path of the world always, always, always leads to destruction. Had Nehemiah given in to the path of the world, given in to fear, given in to despair, given in to these accusations, he would have been led to sure and certain destruction. On the other hand, the path of God always, always, always leads to life. It doesn't mean easy. It's not the easy road. It doesn't mean, yay, all these good things are going to happen to me, but what it does mean is life, as the Bible defines life. Jesus says it like this in Matthew 7, Enter by the narrow gates, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. See, there's two paths. Where was Nehemiah's strength? Where was his hope? It wasn't in himself. It was in his God. He knew that God could do the impossible. And in fact, he even mentions that in verse 15. And I love, I love it. I love it. He's just, he's gone on talking about all these assaults, all these ways that he has been just hit from every side. He's been doing it for three chapters. And I love it. In Nehemiah 6:15, sort of just off the cuff, he just says, so the wall was completed in 52 days. 52 days. Have you guys ever seen a stretch of road be complete in 52 days with modern day crews and all the equipment and everything? These guys had hammers, maybe some winch pulley kind of system, you know, and and buckets. 52 days, less than three months. It's miraculous. I love Nehemiah, what he observes about what's happening all around too, in verse 16. What What does he say happens? When all our enemies heard of it, it's sort of like this jab. All the nations around us were afraid and felt greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Friends, Nehemiah's enemies had deep theology at this point. Sometimes a better theology than than us Christians have. They remembered and saw something that this was God at work. See, at the end of the day, Nehemiah's ability, our ability to face tribulations in this world, is not dependent upon the measure of our strength or our measure of our faith, but it's dependent entirely upon the strength of our God. And this was Nehemiah's one and only hope. His hope was that God helps his people. That was his one hope. God helps his people. There's three statements that summarize this hope that he had. And the first one is this. Nehemiah believed it. And it comes in the form of a, a question. I ask my kids this almost every night before they go to bed. I say to them, what is your only hope in life and in death? Anyone know the answer? Yes, it is Jesus, thank you, but it's, it's more than that. It's not just Jesus, it's this, that I am not my own, but I belong to God. Friends, we belong to God. Nehemiah believed and remembered that he belonged to God. We are not our own, but we belong to God. Secondly, as those who belong to God... Let us remember that God will accomplish his purpose for us. We read it this morning in our call to worship. Verse 7 of Psalm 138 says, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. He will accomplish his purpose for you, friends. We belong to God. He accomplishes his purpose for us. And thirdly, what Nehemiah believed, God will overcome. God has overcome the world. You see, what Nehemiah hoped for What he believed in was a promise of something that was to him a shadow, something that to us we can look back and see the fullness of and the reality of. You see, friends, there was another man who faced distraction, who faced false accusation, who was tempted to despair. There was another man who faced conspiracy, lies, and threats. He even faced death and was forsaken by his own father. You see, friends, because of our sin, we deserve to be accused as rebels against God. Because of our sin, we deserve to be harmed and punished. Because of our sin, we deserve to be killed for acts of treason against the one true king. And yet, in abundant grace, in abundant mercy, the son of the king, Jesus Christ, faced threat, conspiracy, accusation, and death so that those who trust him are no longer threatened and accused. You see, at the cross, Jesus bore the accusation and harm that we deserve. And in exchange, he offers us innocence and security. He offers us eternal life. You see, friends, it is only in Christ that I am free from and no longer subject to threat and accusation. It's only in Christ that I can face the assaults of Satan and stand. It's only in Christ that I can face the tribulations of this world. Friends, where is your hope today? Where is your peace today? Won't you rest in Jesus? Won't you trust in him who overcomes In this world, Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. And the very next part, you know what he says? He says, take heart. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful that in the midst of the assaults of Satan, you give us strength through Christ. Jesus, we're thankful that you faced accusation and death for us and on our behalf so that we could no longer be subject to accusation, Lord, but could be innocent and free. Secure in us this hope, Lord, that we are not our own, but we belong to you and help us to take heart in the midst of opposition in this world, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.